Hello, and welcome to The Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me as always, David Dixon. David, what's going on? What's going on, Kelly? It's a beautiful Saturday here in the city. It finally stopped raining, and it's just a great day to talk hoops. We have a guest, too. Jordan Sears is making his triumphant return to The Double Double. Jordan, how's it going? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm back again. Pumped to have you. So we're going to we're going to talk a little NBA draft. It was an exciting night, a lot of trades. David, what was your uh, kind of your main takeaway from, from Thursday night? Yeah, so my main takeaway is that it was clear that a lot of the teams just didn't really know what to expect going to the draft. There was obviously the top three kind of went as everyone expected. And then from four to 60, there was no consensus on where guys were ranked across the league and so you saw a lot of teams make some questionable decisions a lot of picks were traded and it seemed like teams didn't really know what to expect during the draft they were kind of feeling it out during the whole three four hour you know marathon that is the nba draft i definitely agree with that um i would probably say two of my biggest takeaways were that there weren't really any big contracts any like notable players being traded during the draft, I know a lot of picks were getting traded left and right, but we didn't really see any of those those big contracts of notable players get moved. And then another thing I think was just the deals that the Pelicans and the Hawks were making, and they make me extremely excited for the most wonderful time of the year, Summer League. I think it's going to be a really exciting Summer League just based off of some of the picks and teams that are being assembled. There's a lot of young talent. Jordan, I think the two teams you just mentioned, the Pelicans and the Hawks, you know, they did, they did a great job in, in what they did on Thursday night, but... Just what David Griffin turned Anthony Davis into is ridiculous. If you just look at kind of the asset pool he's put together. So he basically flips 80 to the Lakers. And what he has gathered in return, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, Marcos Luzada Silva. I don't even know who that is, but he sounds like a pretty good player. A 2020 Los Angeles pick, 2023 swap, 2024 or 2025 pick. And then he also got dumped salary or Solomon Hill's contract. So, I mean, that that was like that was like a page in a book of what he got in return for Anthony Davis. So it's it's often really hard to get a fair return for superstars. We've seen Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and a lot of times you get 50 cents on the dollar. I think David Griffin deserves a lot of credit for how he kind of reinvigorated the Pelicans franchise. And none of this is even a mention that they drafted Zion Williamson first overall. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with you. And uh, that reminds me of a conversation I think we, got, we had a, a few days ago just about who won this trade. And I think a lot of it was, well, if the Lakers win a championship, maybe everything was worth it. But, you know, looking at this highway robbery, if you will, just really makes you think, is one championship really worth this? Because it seems like, you know, as LeBron starts to decline and, um, you know, there's just going to be Anthony Davis there and maybe one other max player or something, but they don't have too many other young assets or, you know, solid players. I think, you know, they're, they're going to start to decline a little bit as a team and it might snowball and they might just go into another, another valley for a long period of time. And I think David Griffin is kind of trading here for, uh, su- sustained success. I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win or com- compete 
for the finals every year, but you know, I think they can start to become an extremely exciting team that New Orleans really never was. And uh, I think they're going to win some games and shock a lot of people and make the playoffs more times than not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what, what David Griffin has been able to do is he's just getting more, you know, you know, darts at the dartboard with all these draft picks to try to take another a chance to take another transcendent player or pro- projected transcendent player like Zion. But I want to talk about the Hawks for a second because we're lauding David Griffin for getting so much for the fourth pick. But are we sure that the Hawks should have given that? much in that deal for DeAndre Hunter? It seemed like a lot. I think he he's definitely a safer pick. His ceiling I don't think is incredibly high, but I think he fits in well with kind of the pieces that they have. And also they added Bruno Fernandez, who many projected as a lottery pick in the second round. I think that's going to be a key acquisition. But just between John Collins, obviously Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and now DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, this is, I mean, starting to become one of the better young nucleuses in the NBA. Yes, 100%. I mean, I know they're, they're very, very high on, on Hunter. Um, I think he's very much worth a fourth pick if you can get him year to year to be hitting, say, 37% of his threes. This, he can guard. Um, so I think if he's able to just space the floor and, you know, let Trey Young operate, I think it'll be really effective. And then I do like Fernando backing up John Collins and then, you know, Herter playing a little bit of backup point guard. But I think, you know, Reddish is your gamble, if you will. And I think Hunter is is that surefire safe pick who you can pretty much pigeonhole to be a solid 3 and D player. I get that we all think that he's going to be a solid 3 and D player, but maybe maybe I'm just less, I'm just farther down on Atlanta being close to relevant really because this seems like a pick for a lot of teams you add hunter he's a complimentary piece you can play right away but i feel like atlanta should have been targeting the high potential guys like they got with cam reddish at 10 i i mean maybe you take a darius garland or the guy who i would have taken which is uh jared culver at four fitting in with trey young get a big guard who can guard multiple positions on the wing and you can play some point guard too i mean I just think Atlanta's not nearly there yet to add a DeAndre Hunter. If DeAndre Hunter, if you add him on the Lakers right now, that'd make a lot of sense. But I mean, Atlanta's gonna be bad again next year, and I don't know how much better Hunter's gonna get. But it speaks to what you said right off the top, David. Four through sixty, these teams, their boards were jumbled. So some teams probably had Hunter at four, like the Hawks, and then other teams maybe had him down at like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. But one thing that I kind of want to get your thoughts, Jordan, we'll start with you. Now that the basically the Luka Doncic trade is finalized, and you can either have Trey Young and Cam Reddish or Luka Doncic, when we look back, who will be on the right side of history, the Mavericks or the Hawks? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I mean, I think, I think Cam Reddish is a, is a risky pick. I think he's extremely talented, and, you know, he, he should be a top. He should, if he was actually a pretty assertive player, I, you could argue he might – be the number one or number two pick this year. Um, I think if you can somehow manage to help him fill out, I think it's going to be well worthwhile for the Hawks with what they just did. Um, as, as great as Luca is, I think, you know, Trey Young is doing some phenomenal things, and I think, you know, he's fairly close to Steph Curry and, you know, those kind of things that he does, but then he's also a great passer and just a great pick-and-roll player. So he's getting surrounded by a lot of really good players, and you think of 
Herder and you think of Reddish as terrific secondary players, and if you can get those two guys to fill out and figure it out, you know they're going to be they're going to be a really good team. See, I I don't think this is difficult at all. The Mavericks won this trade, and it's not even close. Doncic is incredible. He just dominated the league. He's way bigger than Trey Young, so for the longevity factor, it helps that he's six eight instead of five ten on a on a good day. And I think we're forgetting that the Mavs got KP. They got Porzingis. So as long as Porzingis is not going to get in any NBA trouble for some of his off the court activities, uh, that could be a playoff team if you add Doncic and Porzingis just just on the court, and they have cap space. So who knows who they'll sign this summer? Fair point, I suppose. I think the Mavericks will win the trade. I think more times than not, the team that gets the best player kind of wins regardless, which is why I think the Lakers will not live to regret this Anthony Davis trade. And I think ultimately, I mean, Trey Young is, he's going to be a sieve on defense pretty much his whole career. And I think, I mean, you kind of look at some other teams across the league and when, when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs, I think Trey Young, as great of a scorer as he is, I think he's going to be able to be exposed on that end. You're, you're definitely right on that. Um, you know, again, that's what I, that's where I think a guy like Cam Reddish can come into play. Again, he's a top two talent. Um, if you can develop a guy like that to take some pressure off of off of Trey Young, I think they're going to be in a good situation. I got a question for for you guys. So I want to talk about the the Suns uh, T Wolves trade. So the T Wolves traded Sarich and eleven for six, and then the Suns get eleven and take Cam Johnson. Has there been a greater, you know, what the hell are both teams doing in this trade? Like, what is going on? <laughs> the Suns definitely aren't, as you said with Hunter, maybe the Hawks aren't ready for that. The Suns are definitely not ready for that. To They just need to stockpile talent and good talent. And yeah. I really like Cam Johnson. I think he would have been a steal for certain teams. You know, he's 6'9", and he can shoot it, but... I, they're just not ready for that. They're not. I think. I think they needed a lot of things, and they they just didn't fill that need, which is you know getting a point guard. Yeah, I mean, I like Cam Johnson. Eleven is a little too rich for me. He's he's granted he's a pretty good shooter, but he's also I think he's turning twenty four soon, and he's not like the best athlete. Yeah. So you know that was definitely questionable. Um, the other thing that they did that kind of perplexed me on draft night was they traded TJ Warren in basically like a kind of a salary dump type deal. And here's a guy who granted he was hurt much of last season, but he played in, in half the games and averaged 18 points. And they basically had to attach a, a draft pick to him thinking that he was somehow a, a negative contract getting paid 11 or $12 million a year. So I didn't, I didn't think that made too much sense. But the one thing that I thought of, D'Angelo Russell tweeted out Halloween season and through a little research, I found out that Devin Booker's birthday is the day before Halloween. So, you know, what do you guys think about the potential fit of D'Angelo Russell in Phoenix? Because if, if for some reason they know that's a possibility, maybe all of these moves make a little bit more sense. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I personally think... D'Angelo Russell has seen bigger and better things than than the Suns, and for him to lead his team to the playoffs and you know get the Nets back on the map per se, I think 
was a big accomplishment for his career, especially just reviving himself after, you know, all of the debacle in Los Angeles. I don't, I personally don't think he should, you know, regress to that level of basketball if it's possible at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Suns offer him in restricted free agency. Um, but I guess that goes to what are the Nets going to do? Will they match that, or do they think they're getting Kyrie? I don't know. So uh, I would not like to see him go there. Um, I think Booker and D'Angelo Russell is an interesting, an interesting combination of players who are very talented, pretty good pick-and-roll players who don't really guard. <laughs> but, you know, I think they have – a couple of young pieces, you know, Aiton and, and Bridges that I think will be good. But, you know, they just need to figure out a way to just keep building around those guys. Yeah, I, I don't really like the Daniel Russell pairing there because, as you said, it seems like at least him and Booker are really good friends off the court. But they won't guard anybody. They both shoot the ball a lot. And can I say it again? They won't guard anybody. <laughs> so and in the West where there's you have all these great point guards – and great wing players. I don't know if they, you know, they might be scoring a lot, but they'll be letting in just as many buckets on the other end. And also, if you sign D'Angelo Russell, you're paying him a huge contract, and then you get Sarge for one year, who's on a controllable, cheap contract this year, but then he's due for a restricted free agency next year, and you'll have to think about giving him a big deal and you're already paying Booker a lot. I don't know if I want to commit that much to Booker and D'Angelo Russell. I don't know. I think the Suns will be in the lottery again next year, which won't be a surprise with the way that they you know, run their team. And then the, the next thing I want to highlight is, uh, did you hear about this with the Wizards? So the Wizards don't have a GM. I don't know if you guys realize that, but they don't have a GM. And they just drafted Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga, who I like. I thought he was a solid college player. But Hachimura said after the draft that he had never he never talked to the Wizards during the process, didn't work out for them, did an interview, didn't do anything. So it feels like the first time the Wizards call was kind of like Rui looked at his phone, sees a number he doesn't recognize, and he's like, ah, screw it, I'll, I'll pick it up. It's like, hey, we just drafted you. Like, what? You're just going to draft a guy that you never interviewed or worked out? I think a lot of times teams do this types of stuff to, to serve kind of as like smoke screens. So if they if they learn early on that they kind of like a prospect and they don't want to be linked to him, I can see this happening. I, I, I agree that I think it's kind of strange, but I also think it probably happens more than we realize. Uh, I, I really don't know about that one, but, um, you know, it's just a burning dumpster over there. Um, <laughs> The desperation is at an all-time high. Did you see the deal they offered Masai Ujiri? That yeah, I, I mean, like you're going to offer him part ownership. You're going to offer him equity in in the team. Like that is so desperate and such like a. They're trying to make the Godfather offer, but the the problem is that it's it's like a Godfather offer to go someplace where no one wants to go. <laughs> I'm I'm against giving anyone really equity in the team. But why not? Some of these, you see the contracts of some of these marquee players. There's no salary cap for front office personnel. So why not go out and give a godfather offer to Masai or Bob Myers or Daryl Morey? I, I think more teams should do that. Like the Lakers, instead of having Rob Palinka run your team, how about you call Daryl Morey or you call R.C. Buford or Bob Myers and say, guys, here's 15 million 
come build this team in LA and we'll give you all the resources you need. I, I don't know why more teams don't do that. So I kind of applaud the Wizards for at least shooting for Masai, even though it looks like he's probably going to stay in Toronto. I, I just think that the main problem is that in the way that we scapegoat coaches and general managers is that when things don't go right, we never blame the players who are the ones who are actually responsible for it. You always blame the, the general manager. So if the general manager owns, you know, so if Masai owns 2% of the Wizards, he's going to own that 2% forever. And no matter... So if the Wizards are terrible the next three years and you don't like the fact they were that you they're, you're rebuilding because you have to, like you can't take away his 2%, you know? Yeah. Uh, going back to your point, Kelly... Um, I, I don't want to say they should offer Godfather offers, certainly like hefty offers, you know, to try and, you know, attract somebody away from the team they're already with. But, you know, I think a lot of the, the GM and executive role is so situational that you can't offer them money basically with the thought that they're really going to turn the, the entire situation around. I think it's it's just so situational and depends on your entire staff and it's such a long-term project that I don't personally think any a lot of successful GMs can can turn around a certain organization like I don't think Masai Ujiri was going to who inherited a solid situation with assets in Toronto is going to be able to go to the Wizards the burning dumpster fire and turn that team around within 6 years. I don't I don't see it. Um, so again, it's, you know, it's, it's the situation you're inheriting is it's the players and of course your acumen as an executive, but you know, I just don't know about the whole Godfather offer idea. It'll be interesting to see if people continue to try to do that to people, but. No, I agree. Cause it's definitely, you're only really as good as the cards you're dealt. And in a lot of these situations, like the wizards, you're hampered with John Wall's contract. So really, no matter what you want to do, you're going to have this guy who's basically perpetually injured on your roster for the next four years at like 45 million a year. So yeah, you don't have great flexibility. I understand that. But a lot of these guys have proven track records. And I mean, I'd, I'd rather just entrust someone who's proven they can do it. Well, yeah, I, I, I like the the idea of offering them more money is fine to me. When, when we say Godfather offer, I am specifically targeting the being the CEO of the parent company of the Wizards and having ownership stake is is one of the most outlandish things I've ever heard. Like that is an all time desperate move by an NBA organization. We've spent on a lot of time talking about all the things that we didn't understand and all the picks we didn't like. I thought a bunch of teams made some really good picks. And, you know, I don't want to talk about Zion, but I thought that was obviously a, a great pick. The Knicks got RJ Barrett and did you guys see the, the first question he got asked at the press conference? Yeah, do you have shoulders big enough to carry this franchise? <laughs> and I thought RJ handled it like a pro. He was perplexed as any 19-year-old would be. And I just hope that he's ready for that because as a the Knicks' goals for the offseason was Zion, KD, and Kyrie. Well, they didn't get Zion. Katie's injured, so even if they get him, he won't play. And Kyrie's probably not coming. So all the offseason dreams have completely turned into, well, we got RJ. Like, RJ is going to like our guy. So 
if he comes out and struggles in summer league and has a bunch of eight for 27 shooting nights, which we all know he's very capable of doing, there's, he's going to get criticized a lot. And, and I'm a little worried about it. Yeah, I think, I think that's inevitable, especially when you're, when you're in the city. Um, I don't think he's as dynamic of a player as guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic, so I don't think he's going to figure, out, figure it out right away. But at the same time, you know, not even, even having an injured KD would help him. I think he just needs some sort of veteran leadership. He's going to come in there and just be right beside Kevin Knox, and they're going to say, all right, here's the ball, RJ. Let's see what you got. I don't, I don't think it's going to go too well for him super early on. I think he's got potential to get a lot better with those things. But, you know, it's, it's going to take him some, some time to, to get accustomed to the New York crowd. The one thing I want to just talk about briefly is the drop of Bol Bol. I was stunned by it because obviously there's, there's some concerns about his health and, I mean, probably the type of kid he is and his work ethic. But if you're 7'2 and have that ability to shoot it, get to the basket, and you're just kind of a menace defensively, even if you're only 210 pounds, like we've seen guys gain weight over the over the course of certainly a career. But like David, you brought up Rui Hachimura earlier. Why, why if you're the Wizards, why not take a swing? Even I know it sounds ridiculous, but at nine, why not go for a guy that has a 10% chance of being an absolute superstar? versus going for Rui Hachimura who's you know he's a very safe pick but is he really going to ever average more than like 12 and 8 in his career even if Bol Bol proves to be a a bust or flames out due to injury or or otherwise I think he was worth the the risk way sooner than 44. Yeah and I and I think it's because it's if you draft Bol Bol and doesn't work out that's a that's a pick that can get you fired you're not going to get fired for taking Rui Hachimura and I think GMs, when they're in the draft, they got to remember, hey, you know, in the back of their mind, it's they're taking guys who they could keep their jobs for. And I, I really like the Bull Bull pick. If you get him at 44, I think it was Mike Schmitz from the draft, from a, one of the draft express guys, said that Bull Bull's a top five talent. And when you talk to all these so called draft experts and the guys really follow it, they all say Bull Bull is an elite talent and one of the most talented guys in this draft. And I totally agree with you. If, if you're, you know, the the Celtics or the the especially the Sixers, like if you want to talk about the the process, isn't Bull Bull like perfect for the Sixers in that if they could take a swing at him and he hits and he's awesome, like and you get to pair him with Embiid and Simmons and all them, like that would be incredible. So I think it's like what there's there's something going on with him that we just don't know about. And you mentioned it, whether it's the work ethic concerns, whether he likes basketball, his injury concerns. There's something that all these teams agreed on. Because we talked about at the, at the beginning, I mentioned, it didn't seem like these teams agreed on a lot. Well, they all agreed that something was up with Bull Bull. From my perspective, if I'm picking past a certain point in the draft, and this year it was sooner rather than later, say around pick 10, I would much rather go for the guy who has a 10% of absolute superstardom, like Bull Bull, a guy who can be an all-NBA caliber player if things click, than a guy who's just a safe pick and his ceiling is Ryan Anderson. I don't, like, just some someone like that. Like, I'd rather shoot for the absolute moon than just take a safe pick, especially as the draft gets later and later. And I don't know, I just think, I, I think teams kind of 
drop the ball on, on this one and we'll see if he turns out to be a good player or not but I think a lot of it David does have to do with job security and and the safety and kind of the perception of what will be if as it's likely going to happen that Bull Bull doesn't turn out to be you know a superstar but I think you know that that slim chance that he is 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 worth the pick in my eyes well I'm really happy that he's gone 44th to the Nuggets because Summer League with Bull Bull and Michael Porter Jr. is going to be unbelievable. Like, mark your calendar. I'm extremely excited for that. But, you know, like you said, there's something that all of these teams know that we probably don't know. Um, clearly, there's the injury, the injuries with, you know, just being 7-2 and having those foot issues. But I think there's got to be something a little bit deeper than just that um you know you look at some of these guys in the the second round like you know admiral schofield or justin james or any of those guys who went before him he's clearly a lot better and a better pick but there was a reason some of these teams did this and i think it, it it has to do with you know his his potential character flaws um so he was very much the best player but you know i think that 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 goes a long way for taking that risk. I, I, I wouldn't even say his, I don't want to say his superstar potential is even 10% in their eyes when, you, when you're able to see, oh, he has injuries and then he has these character issues and these work ethic issues. So, um, and again, he's also, when we, we talked about Joel Embiid, a guy like that is somebody who had foot issues, but they took a gamble on because they were able to see certain things about him, but one of which being, you know, the capacity to put on weight and, and certain things like that, which Bobo doesn't really have. So his longevity is going to be a big, a big concern as well. And then there's, there's one other guy who's a top five projected picker. That's Nasir Little, who went to Portland. And I really like where he ended up. I think that'll be a perfect place for him to grow as a player because with Dame and CJ and Nurkic, he won't be asked to come in and, hey, we're going to need you to take 20 shots a game for us to have any chance this year. So I think he could come in, be a role player, be an energy guy, play really hard defense, and improve as a shooter throughout the whole season. That, I think that's a really good spot for Nasir Little. It's, it's amazing when, when you see these guys who are falling in the draft and the guys who and the, and, and the teams who picked them. You got the Blazers taking Nasir Little and the Nuggets taking or trading for Bull Bull. Those are just smart teams who are making smart, calculated gambles at where they're picking because the draft is an imperfect science and if you can make a smart gamble and a smart choice that's why those teams are picking late in the first round and late in the second round because they are smart teams they know what they're doing i totally agree in terms of nasir little here's a guy who who's cut from the same cloth as cam reddish and that he really hurt his stock in college but a year ago if you would have had a poll and had probably league executives predict where this guy's going to go. I'm sure many would have had him within the top five. And for a team like Portland, who, I mean, El Farouk Amino and Mo Harkless are fine players, but they've been looking for a three for what seems like five years. And if Nasir Little can turn out to be kind of that player and, and the player in which they envision, I think I think this is a home run for, for Neil O'Shea and, and the Blazers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's... Three and D at the very least, and I think he's got some some star potential to him. 
Um, you know, Mo, Mo Harkless has one more year on his contract. He's a, he's a he's a pretty good player for them, but you know, I think he's not as little. His potential will be a, he is a step higher, and I think he his floor is probably where Mo Harkless is at this point. The the one other team I wanted to bring up that I, I found kind of interesting was the Cleveland Cavaliers. So here's a team. John Beeline is now their head coach, coming from Michigan. They took Colin Sexton last year, had a pretty good rookie season, struggled like most rookies do, and then they pick Darius Garland fifth overall, who was kind of the mystery coming out of Vanderbilt, only played in four games, and then they choose Kevin Porter Jr. at the end of the first round, who was a guard from USC, who was probably a lottery pick if not for character concerns. And then, David, they took your man, yep. Dylan Windler, who I know you love. Yep. But I'm just kind of curious, what do you guys think? Because here's a team that now has three guards, three-point guards, who, granted, could all possibly play at the same time if John Beeline wants to go that route. But just what are your, kind of your thoughts on drafting for need versus drafting best player available because to me the Cavaliers didn't need guards it looks to me like they kind of went the best player available route and I I I don't necessarily hate it kind of given where they're at as a franchise so I think a lot of people um the first thing that comes to mind with that Garland pickup is system it's it's John Beeline system of you know liking to have two really good ball handlers and that's what he wants to do with pairing Garland and Sexton um I think I think Garland honestly is probably a little bit better than Sexton but you know they're both just so small and I don't think that's a feasible a feasible plan to start two small guards of that size and just go out there I think uh I don't want to say they drafted for need nor I mean, Garland was the best player at that point, but I don't even think their intention was to draft the best player available. I think they said, we want Garland because he's going to fit this system. But the thing is with the NBA, it's really, you know, Beeline's been in college for God knows how long. I don't think it's very system-oriented in the NBA. You can look at certain teams like the Jazz who have a definitive system, but I just don't think it's going to work out as well as they would think it is just having those two small guards operate. Um, and I think they very well could have took a guy like Jared Culver right there and just, you know, filled a need for a good wing. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the nose, Jordan. I mean, as good as Garland is, he's just small. And there's nothing you can do about the fact that he's 6'2", and there's nothing you can do about the fact that Sexton is about the same size. And when you watch the these teams in the NBA and these teams, in especially in the Eastern Conference, they're just big. And... I don't know who they'll be able to guard with Sexton and Garland at the one and two. And I actually think that they picked, as much as I love Dylan Windler, I think they picked him a little early, Kelly. I wasn't expecting Windler to be a first-round pick. I thought they they, caught, they would have been able to snag him in the second round. But obviously they take him at 26, so they went and got their guy. And I think he's good. He's 6'7". You know, he averaged twenty, and he had ten average ten rebounds a game. So I think he could help them as long as he can prove that he could play consistently against NBA level athletes. And I think that this is their swing at swinging for the fences with this Kevin Porter Jr. pick because Kevin Porter Jr. is kind of in the same mold as the Nas Little and the Bull Bull in that this dude is extremely talented, but comes with a lot of issues that were causing him to fall. He had some issues at USC. And, but he's extremely talented. So if he can, 
if they can get him and stay on the court and work with him, you know, Porter might be the best player in this draft when it's all said and done. I mean, I don't think that. I still think Zion's the best, but Porter might be the second best. I, I don't really have much else. Jordan, I, I just want to get your thoughts on one guy because I know you're the uh, defensive aficionado among us. Matisse Thibel from Washington. The kid averaged six combined blocks and steals this past year, and granted he struggles to shoot from three, but just kind of what are your thoughts on a kid who's being compared to Andre Robertson and is is looking at possibly being one of the premier perimeter defenders in the league? You know, he at Washington almost won player of the year in the conference solely for playing defense, (laughs) which is almost a first. Um, I think he had like 100 steals and 50 blocks and was one of the first guys, I think, to do that in over 20-something years. Um, He's a terrific defender, Um, certainly should draw those those Roberson comparisons. Um, I think he has a little bit more offensive feel than Roberson, and there's the potential that he does figure that out. However, I don't like the Sixers taking that pick. Totally agree. I'd give them a pretty bad grade in this draft. Um, You know, just having guys like Embiid and Simmons, who are primarily interior guys, you really just continue to just clog the paint for yourselves. And as you see, you know, Embiid can shoot. But, you know, when, when it gets to the playoffs and it gets to crunch time, especially with Boogie as well, you know, people are going to sag off. They're going to look for any advantage they can get. And so having Ben Simmons and him on the court and beat on the court at the same time is bad. Adding him is not going to help them. I think they should have just looked for a little bit more shooting. I think he's a guy um, who just needed a better fit. Um, And then another guy who I think, or another team who I think did an even worse job with that and has is the Thunder. I think um, taking Darius Baisley, who I think is a really good player, um, was a bad pickup because all of the, all they do is stockpile just athletic wings, which is what they don't need. They need shooting. They need to space the floor out a little bit. You know, they have Jeremy Grant. They have Andre Roberson. They're adding Baisley. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm forgetting another wing on their on their. Terrence throw. Ferguson. He can shoot. He's the one guy who can shoot. But, you know, they just – I don't think they, they've done a good job drafting. So, I mean, I was stunned Basley got drafted or basically got, got, got drafted because he basically was an intern for a year where all he did was work out. You know, clutch, clutch guy, Kelly. Quite the internship. Three months. Three months, $1 million. I mean, I mean, Rich Paul, I mean, if he's negotiating those internships, I, I wish he was negotiating my internship, but... Uh, I'm there with you. The the Sixers, like, what are you doing, guys? Like, did you not watch the playoffs? You guys need shooting. And you take the one dude in the draft who's known as probably the worst wing shooter. And I just said maybe Dylan Windler wasn't a first-round pick, but Dylan Windler was right there. Just take Dylan Windler or Jordan Poole or Keldon Johnson or, you know, th- these guys who can shoot. It's I mean, unless they're watching in these workouts, if, I mean, I I have no idea, but maybe the Sixers are playing pickup and Simmons is hitting nine threes a game. Joel Embiid thinks he's a better shooter than he actually is, but Ben Simmons, it's not that he can't shoot, he doesn't shoot. And then another guy who we haven't even mentioned yet, their first round pick from a year ago, Zaire Smith, that kid can't shoot. 
Yes. So now you're building a team with all these athletes. You don't know the future of J.J. Redick, of Jimmy Butler, of Tobias Harris. And you're picking guys who, I mean, if you can keep all of these guys, maybe Thibault is a is a really nice role player and kind of a, a defensive wild card that Brett Brown could throw on the floor. But Jordan and, and David as well, I, I agree that I just I don't really like the fit at all for the Sixers there. Yeah, I mean, I personally am a big proponent of them seeking to trade Ben Simmons. Um, I just don't think with that team, I think anybody would rather build around Embiid, even with his arthritic knee over Ben Simmons. Um, but I just don't think you can win meaningful basketball with both of those guys on the floor at the same time. I think they can uh, put themselves in a, a little bit better situation. I'm just not fully there yet on on trading Simmons. I He's still just so good, and he's still so young that I think that if you trade him, it's like the, the Davis thing, unless you're getting an established star back, you, you do the process to get a player as talented as Simmons, and I just don't know if they'll be able to get another player like that. I think for them, they need... I think they need a player who's a good fit. You know, I think they had, I mean, for last year at least, they had good assets. You know, imagine if you could somehow hypothetically swap a D'Angelo Russell and a Ben Simmons on those rosters. I think that plays into their favor very well. You know, they stretch the floor. Or even even like a Drew Holiday. Yeah, yeah. I think they space the floor out. They're going to run ridiculous pick and roll, and Joel Embiid's going to have autonomy to do whatever he wants because he's going to be surrounded by shooters so but yes he Ben Simmons is a terrific player um and I think he can go to certain places like say a Portland and you know be be a really good player for those teams and you know continue to be an all-star but I just don't think this is the fit next to one of the most dominant bigs we have in the league all right any any closing thoughts yeah uh I want to shout out my guy, Goga Batazde. Uh, I think that is a phenomenal fit for, uh, for the Pacers. End name. Yeah, I'm actually excited. I've watched a little bit of EuroLeague. I watched him at Budiknast a little bit. He's a really good player, and I think that front line is very underrated. They are going to be the biggest bruisers on the planet. It's going to be Miles Turner, who fouls a ton. It's going to be Goga, and it's going to be Sabonis, who's just cutthroat. So I'm really excited to watch that team. And then also, lastly, I hope somebody who doesn't get talked about enough is Bojan Bogdanovic. He's going to be a free agent. He's a very important free agent. He, he could go to a really good team. I don't know where, but I think he's a very undervalued person who hasn't been talked about enough going into this. LeBron likes it that way. Yeah, that's true. LeBron's going to come knocking on that door all the way in. Uh, Serbia or Croatia, wherever he's from. He should just sign with Clutch. <laughs> but uh, my, I, I got a few shouts. So, so first, I want to shout out Coach Sass and on our last podcast, correctly predicted Grant Williams to the Boston Celtics. Shout out Coach Sass. That was that was an awesome prediction. A few of your others didn't really go as planned, but I'll give you the one that you got right. Uh, Self promotional. I got Samanchich to the Spurs. Uh, I thought that was a great pick. I want to highlight also the Lakers traded into the second round and bought a uh, a pick in, in the second round to take another clutch client. So shout out Rich Paul and Rob Plinka for you know the tandem of GMing 
the Lakers. And then the guy who we haven't talked about, and I, and I like it that way, who I thought was might have been the best pick outside of the top three, Brandon Clark. Mike, Mike and Zaga guys going to the Grizzlies, teaming up with Jaron Jackson and John Morant. I think that is a very, very good young core. I concur. I have nothing left to say, guys. This was fun. Blast. July 5th through 15th, mark your calendars, NBA Summer League. RJ versus Ion first game. You going to have it on at the office? Will I? (laughs) Next question. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. We can also be found on Spotify for those who do not have an iPhone. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, please let us know. You can reach us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast, or you can send us an email. Our email address is double double four zero two at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.